Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here with us today. <coughs> if you're a guest of ours, boy, we're especially honored to have you with us this morning. I entitled my lesson today, Make a Joyful Noise, and I looked a long time for a picture that would bring to mind a joyful noise, and I think I might have chosen the perfect picture. I love that picture of that little boy with an accordion. He is obviously joyful, and even though there's no sound attached to the picture, we all know there's a noise attached there, right? I think maybe I've told you the definition of perfect pitch, when you can toss the accordion into the dumpster and not hit the sides. Still a pretty good picture though, isn't it? Let me share with you another set of pictures to kind of introduce my lesson. Uh, you probably know by now I'm a big fan of Calvin and Hobbes. Um, I think Bill Watterson, the guy who created Calvin and Hobbes, the cartoon, um, I think he's really a funny guy. But he also has really great insight into just human nature. And I want to share with you a, a, a panel, a, a cartoon from Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin's talking to Hobbes and he says, Some people complain all the time. They complain about the least little thing. If something bugs them, they never let it go of it. They just go on and on, long after anyone else is interested. It's just complain, complain, complain. People who gripe all the time really drive me nuts. You'd think they'd change the subject after a while, but they never do. They just keep griping until you start to wonder, what's wrong with this idiot? But they go on complaining and repeating what they've already said. And then Hobbes says, maybe they're not very self-aware. <laughs> to which Calvin replies, boy, that's another thing that gets on my nerves. Let me ask you this morning, how do you react when something happens that, that you don't really like? How do you respond when you find yourself in a situation that you didn't want to be in? Do you get angry? Do you get bitter? Like Calvin, do you just, do you just complain? How do you handle a situation that's not going your way? You know, the Bible has an awful lot to say about how we handle situations. How we react to different things. Things that are going exactly like we want them to go and also things that aren't exactly going the way we would hope they went. And over and over again, the Bible does kind of an interesting thing. It attaches two seemingly opposite emotions. It, it talks about unpleasant experiences, and it attaches that to joy. Putting two things that, that seem like they don't go together very well. You know, unpleasant experiences and joy. And you know, when you're going through something that's really unpleasant, if someone came to you and said, you know what you need to do? You need to rejoice right now. How would you feel about that? I don't feel like rejoicing right now. In fact, it might make you a little bit angry if someone said, oh, just rejoice, come on. Because it seems like they're sort of trivializing your pain, right? And sort of making light of the thing that you're having to go through. But then what gets really confusing is when you see someone and they're doing it. They're showing joy and they are rejoicing in difficult situations. When you see someone and you know them well enough to know, okay, they're not faking it. I know what they're going through and I, and I know how they're responding and I know them well enough, they're not faking it. They are really somehow finding joy in the middle of this really kind of dark situation. 
And you scratch your head and you say, how do they do that? And maybe you can't put your finger on it, and maybe they're really not able to articulate it themselves, but they're rejoicing in the face of hardship. Now, you need to understand that rejoicing is never, biblically, it's never just, well, put on a happy face, you know, stiff upper lip. Um, Fake it till you make it. That's not scripturally a a definition of of joy. Let me share with you a couple things in Scripture that talks about what I'm trying to talk about. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then here's that word. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says when people persecute you, when people insult you, when people are saying all kinds of lies against you because of me, rejoice about that. Be glad about that. Ooh, okay. Acts chapter 5, a couple of the apostles are arrested. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. A guy named Gamaliel stands up and he speaks, and he's a pretty respected guy. And he says, listen, if these guys are from God, we're not going to be able to stop them. If they're not, it'll probably take care of itself. And then we read in Acts 5, verse 40, his speech, talking about Gamaliel's, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, and here's that word again, rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So these guys have been arrested. They have been beaten. They have been humiliated. They have been threatened. And they leave there rejoicing. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Not only so, but we rejoice. There's that word again. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. You know, it seems like such a contradiction. You take suffering, you take rejoicing, and somehow you put them together. Let me give you one more verse, kind of, kind of the gold standard of what I'm talking about here, James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. There it is again. Pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me ask you a question this morning. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe you have. What's your favorite command in the Bible? Not the greatest command. We know what that is. We know that song, right? It's not the question I'm asking. I'm asking, what's your favorite command in the Bible? You know, usually when we think about commands, we think of like something that's a burden, something that's being imposed on us. I don't really want to do it, but i got to do it, so I'm going to do it because it's a command. But really, in Scripture, when God gives us a command, it's really an invitation to a better way of life. All of God's commands are for our own good. So what God is saying is, you'll have a better life. You'll be a better person. This world will actually be a better place if you would just do this. So I want you to do this. So what's your favorite command? 
What's your favorite invitation of God saying, you'll have a better life, things will go better for you if you do this, and I'm going to give you a candidate for a verse this morning. Maybe you haven't thought a lot about this verse, but it's certainly what I'm talking about this morning, and and I think it's a pretty good candidate for a favorite verse, or at least a verse you ought to highlight in your Bible. It's all the way back in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. Psalms 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's a command by God. Now we make all kind of noises, don't we? We make, like Calvin, complaining noises. We make angry noises. We make selfish noises. We make frustrated noises. But God's command is make a joyful noise unto the Lord. How difficult is that? How difficult is it to make a joyful noise to God? No, it's really not that hard. It's really not that difficult. Here at Bay Area, we are really blessed to have a lot of little babies in our family. And I stand up here week after week, and for those little babies that don't go to the nursery you know, or are kept here in the auditorium, I watch how you all interact with those babies. We love to be around little babies, don't we? And when they're happy, we really love to be around little babies. And you all are like, pass them over to me. Pass her to me. Let me hold her a minute. And when you're holding a baby, I watch you. Your your goal is to make that baby smile. And while I'm speaking, you're out there making funny faces to the baby. And you're making funny noises to the baby with the goal of, I want to make this baby laugh. And by the way, I get that. That's great. If I was there, I'd be like, okay, pass them to me. I think I can do it too. When my son Nate was just a little guy, I don't think he was two years old, we gave him a uh, cowboy doll, Woody, from the, from the movie uh, Toy Story. It was the one where you, know, you pulled the string and it would say the different phrases that Woody said in the movie. And one of the phrases that the little cowboy doll said was, there's a snake in my boots. And for some reason, Nate thought that was hilarious. He would just laugh, that little baby belly laugh, you know, that he'd put his head back and just laugh every time he'd pull the string till it got to that phrase, there's a snake in my boots, and oh, he would laugh. So guess what I did? Every time I talked to him, hey, Nate, there's a snake in my boots, and he would start laughing. So I just said it all the time because he would laugh all the time. And it's such a great memory of that little boy laughing so hard. You know, what kind of a God would create a noise like that? What kind of a God would would create the noise, there we go, of a baby laughing? I mean, it's such a great sound, isn't it? The the sound of a baby laughing, it's good for your soul, isn't it? Did you notice Dito when he walked up here, when Orlando was standing up here? And he was standing right there and just kind of watching and smiling at his grandfather. I mean, that's just good for your soul. You look at that picture. You don't even know that baby, but it makes you smile, doesn't it? You can't hear that baby's laugh, but it makes you feel good. But think about this. What has that child done to deserve that kind of joy? Nate was such a happy little kid. What did he do at, you know, 18 months old to deserve that kind of joy? He hadn't made good grades. 
He hadn't cleaned up his room. He hadn't donated to my retirement fund. You know, and yet my desire was for him to make a joyful noise. I really wanted him, my son, to make a joyful noise. You know, I'd tell him, there's a snake in my boots. And he'd start laughing and we'd do it all over again. It's a question for you to consider. In light of all that's going on in the world, in light of all that's going on in your life right now, how are you doing at making a joyful noise? How's that working for you? Listen, I'm about to say something important. I'm convinced that if we as Christians did a better job of making a joyful noise in whatever circumstances we found ourselves in, I think if we were better at making a joyful noise, I think the gospel would be unstoppable. Because I think people are so hungry for real, authentic joy in their lives. The people that we come in contact with, they are starving for something that's real and something that has meaning. I mean, everybody wants to feel that kind of joy. They're desperate for it. So let's make a case for joyful noise this morning. Why is it such a good thing to be a joyful noise maker? I want to spend a couple minutes talking about God's invitation to us to making a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. By the way, Scripture has another name for making a joyful noise. Uh, it's called worship in Scripture. When I make a joyful noise to the Lord, I am worshiping the Lord. And I'm not talking about what goes on in these four walls. That's part of it, yeah. But what I'm really talking about is the way I live my life. My life being defined by worshiping God. Why is it such a good thing to be a worshiper? Worshiper. Let me share with you a couple reasons. First, when I worship, I focus on God. I'm thinking about God. Uh, back at Psalm 100, uh, verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. When I'm worshiping, I'm thinking about God. Who am I not thinking about when I'm worshiping? I'm not thinking nearly as much about me, which is really a good thing. Now, if we spend a whole lot of time always kind of thinking about ourselves, um, that's not a real healthy thing. There's a lot of people in the world, they have no sense of anything bigger than themselves. They have no sense of anyone bigger than themselves. I think we were created to worship. It's in our DNA. We were made to worship someone. And when we're not worshiping, when we're not worshiping God, there's a void in our lives. And there's a, there, there's a hole that we can't fill on our own. Now, when I worship, my mind's on something other than me. When I focus on me, my little life, my little agenda, you know, my problems, it, it's really kind of boring. We're made to think about something bigger and better and richer. So let's try to be practical this morning. Now, how do I do that? How do I keep my focus on God? Well, I'll give you a really easy way. Simply stop and smell the roses. You know, we live in, in a world that is so disjointed and so divided. You look at social media, look at our political landscape, you look at you know our neighborhoods, and, and there's so much ugliness in the world. Do you forget to stop and notice all the beauty that's in the world? 
here we go. Here we go. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Notice the beauty around you. How long has it been since you've gone out and watched a sunset? They're beautiful. Now how long has it been since you've listened just to, to a bird singing? Smell just how good fresh cut grass smells. Notice how God is declaring Himself all around you. Listen to the laughter of a little child. And when we focus on God, our minds are filled with things that are noble and pure and holy and hopeful. Worship gets my mind off myself and my mind on God. That is a good reason to worship. But that's not the best reason. Here's another reason to, to, to make a joyful noise, a worshipful noise in our lives. Worship produces a spirit of gratitude within me. When I worship, I'm grateful. Now, four days from today is Thanksgiving Day. Most all of us are going to get together with friends or family and we're going to sit down and we're going to share a meal together and we're going to talk about being thankful. And one day of the year is set aside for that. Wouldn't it be great if that was always our default mode? That we're just always thankful? But I think too often times our default mode is a little bit more like Calvin. Because it's really easy to complain about what's going on around me. But when I worship, I have a spirit of gratitude. Look back again at Psalm 100. Verse 4. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Again, let me make this as practical as possible. And we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago. There are days, in fact, maybe there are several days, when I feel like I wake up in neutral. Do you ever feel like you wake up in neutral? You know, kind of maybe uh, ground zero. And I think, okay, if, um, if good things happen to me this morning, it's going to be a good day. Uh, I'll feel kind of lucky. And it'll be a good day. But if bad things happen to me, and you know, a car won't start, or you know, a lot of traffic, or something like that, then I, I won't feel lucky. Now I think, okay, this is a bad day. I'm not going to be happy. Listen, as a Christian, our days never begin in neutral. We never start in neutral. We're always way past that. Martha shared with me uh, a video that I'm sure a lot of you have seen, um, kind of making the rounds. A guy wakes up and he's covered in wrapping paper. And he pulls it off his face and he says, I'm alive! Uh -huh, I'm alive! And he looks over and his wife sits up and she's wrapped in paper. And he pulls the, uh, the wrapping off her face and he goes, You're alive! I have a wife! And two little kids come in and they're wrapped up in paper. And you just see their faces. He says, I've got a family! And he jumps up and he, he hits the, the, the light switch. We have power! There's power in the house. He runs to the bathroom and turns on the water. We have water! He looks at the shower. I know what that's for. He runs downstairs and, and his kids bring him something to eat. We have food! And his daughter hands him a bag and he reaches in. He pulls out a set of keys. What's this? Keys to the car. I have a car! And he runs out and the car is all wrapped up. I have a car! And of course, the whole purpose is how much have we been blessed? 
And everything that we have is a gift from God. When we wake up in the morning, we are way past neutral. This morning, you were given the gift of life. Not everybody woke up this morning. You have a body, you have a mind, you have relationships, families, friends. And then you talk about our spiritual blessings on top of that. Oh my goodness. Forgiveness of sin. The realization that death does not have the last word, that one day we're going to spend eternity at home with Jesus. You're a fool if you think your day begins in neutral. Showing your gratitude to God is a great reason to worship. But it's not the best reason. Here's another. When I worship, my problems lose their power over me. Now I understand that we're living in some pretty tough times. But listen, God's people have always lived in tough times. There's been tough times before this generation. There'll be tough times in generations to come. That's nothing new, and I would argue these aren't the toughest times. Let me take you to the book of Habakkuk. We don't usually spend a lot of time in the book of Habakkuk, but he was a prophet who had something to say. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. This is what the prophet says. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. The prophet is saying, economically, things are tough. Now we might say, though I've been laid off, though my retirement account has dropped 50% in value, though there's foreclosure looming on my home. And then the prophet adds these fabulous words, Nevertheless, nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Notice when he is rejoicing. He's rejoicing in some tough economic times. Notice what he is rejoicing in. He's rejoicing in the Lord. This is a person, this prophet, who has a great perspective on who God is and what God's about. Now, I don't want you to think I'm trying to trivialize dark times. I don't want you to think I'm trying to just blow off things that are difficult because they're hard and there are days when life gets really difficult and I know some of you have and are going through some really dark difficult days and I don't discount that whatsoever I'm just saying if you're trying to go through those days alone on your own power and your own ability you're going to be really frustrated and really disappointed and fearful when we worship, when we make a joyful noise to the Lord, something happens to the way we see our lives. Something happens to our perspective. By the way, you parents, you really need to be sharing this with your children. Now, your children are smart. Your kids are smart. They know when things are going great in the family, and they know when there's a little bit of turmoil in the family as well. They know when the family's hurting. We need to be teaching our children this concept of nevertheless worship. Our kids need to hear us say, you know, this family is rejoicing in God. We might not be where we want to be physically or financially or emotionally or relationally, but listen, kids, your mom and I, we're rejoicing in the Lord. We are trusting in God. Kids, your dad and I, we are trusting in God as a family. Now, you single moms, single dads, you need to be having this conversation with your kids. Listen, as a family, 
We are trusting in God. I think it's one of the most important conversations you'll, you'll, you'll have with your kids. Because when they see someone they know, I mean really know, like mom and dad, when they see someone they love, go through what they know is a difficult time, and that person is continuing to trust in God, that's a lesson they'll never forget. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, whether you have kids or not, you can do that. You can do that this week. When the fig tree doesn't bud, when the olive crop fails, when there's no sheep in the pen, when the car breaks down, when the checkbook doesn't balance, when the sun doesn't shine and the boss doesn't smile, when the phone call I've been waiting on doesn't come, I'm frustrated and disappointed and discouraged, try some nevertheless worship. Nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. God, I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to thank you and praise you for your goodness and your greatness. Worship gives us a brand new perspective on our lives. It gives us a hope, an energy, a different vantage point. When I worship, my problems, they lose their power over me. It's a great reason to worship. But it's not the best reason. Let me share with you what I think is the best reason to worship, the best reason to make a joyful noise. It actually has nothing to do with what I get. It has something to do with what someone else gets. Here's what I believe is the best reason to worship. When I worship, I bring God joy. My worship, as hard as it is to understand and as hard as it will be for me to try to explain, my worship brings my Father in Heaven joy. Not too long ago, I was cleaning out a storage room at the house. I know every house has one, an attic or a basement or some room where you just keep putting junk in and sooner or later you got to throw something away or you got to at least rearrange. So I went in there and I was going to thin it all out. I was going to throw a bunch of stuff away. I was going to get it all organized. I was making pretty good progress until I came to one box, a box that I hadn't opened, I'm sure, in years. A box that had absolutely no intrinsic value whatsoever. But I open it up and it is full of old pictures and old notes and old letters. And instead of cleaning up, I sat down and I started pulling stuff out of that box. And I sat and looked through all those old memories, all those old pictures. And I, you know, some of the things that I pulled out made me laugh. Some of it made me a little bit sad. But the common denominator... Everything in the box was, it brought back memories of people that have been in my life, people that I've loved and who have loved me, some of whom aren't here anymore. And I looked at those pictures and I could remember when they were taken. And I read those notes and I could remember exactly who wrote those notes to me or Martha or one of the kids and the circumstances around it. It was just a box of stuff. Anyone else would have thrown out without a moment's thought and then I pulled out a picture of my daughter Maggie, taken when she was two years old in this building, taken back here in what is now the theater room. It was on a Sunday morning. It was Father's Day. It was a Polaroid picture that was framed in popsicle sticks. And written on the popsicle stick was, To the World's Best Dad. 
And I sat and I looked at that picture and I could remember when it was taken. And I could remember the little jumper that she was wearing. And I could remember her giving it to me. And I just, I just broke down. I just got really emotional. I'm getting a little bit emotional just talking about it now. That picture of my little girl to the world's best dad. You think I'd take, take $10,000 for that picture? Oh, yes, I would. <laughs> sure. Absolutely I would. It's been in a box for 20 years. I'm sentimental. I'm not stupid. But listen, you know what I'm trying to say here. You know where I'm going here. I remembered how much she did and does love me. And I remembered how much I did and do love her. She really did think that I was the best dad in the world. And that's the best reason to worship. I think that's the best reason to worship. I don't know if you've ever thought of this or not, but it is incredibly selfish for someone to say, I'm not going to worship God. I'm going to choose not to worship. That is so selfish of us. As if God is some artificial intelligence thing somewhere, some cosmic robot, some force of nature. No, God is a heavenly Father, a divine being. God has feelings. We read in Scripture about God being grieved, about God taking delight, about God displaying anger, about God knowing deep sorrow. God knows so much better than we do. He's experienced so much more deeply than we have, compassion and tenderness, frustration and rejection and love. The best reason to worship isn't what it does for us. The best reason to worship is God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will never perish but have eternal life. The best reason to make a joyful noise, the best reason to worship is to have God tell me, I love you so much that I've sent my Son to die for you. And for me to tell God, I love you too. And again, I can't quite explain it, but when I do that, it brings my Heavenly Father joy. In the same way that a little baby laughing in my arms brings me joy. In the same way that a little girl thought that I was the world's greatest dad. Our joyful noise brings joy to our Heavenly Father. You know, God doesn't need our services. He doesn't need our activities. He's not impressed by our abilities. What God wants is our hearts. He wants a heart completely devoted to Him. I'm going to close with Psalm 100. And actually, I want to recite this together. How about standing up with me? Let's stand up and let's, let's recite the 100th Psalm together. It's such a beautiful psalm of praise and worship and thanksgiving. So say it with me. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. 
Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. It's the best reason to worship. We tell God how much we love Him. And when we do, He smiles. This week, Thanksgiving week, let's not relegate it to a day. Let's do a better job of making a joyful noise all week long. We've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. As always, if there's something as a family we can pray with you about or help you in any way, meet us down front. Let's sing. I sing praises 